0: Welcome to your Spiritual Broadcast with David Goddard. This podcast is about everything occult, alchemy, Kabbalah, angelic magic, ritual, and so much more. Join David Goddard and Benjamin Phillips as we explore the world of true spiritual living dedicated to a better world. David is a spiritual teacher and author, he teaches worldwide, and is the spiritual director of the Rising Phoenix Foundation. Here's David Goddard and me, Benjamin Phillips, with your Spiritual Broadcast. Hello, David. How are you?
1: I'm doing well, all things considered. Great. I'm offering a lot of prayers for the earthquake victims in Nepal and Kathmandu.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's horrific what's happened there.
1: In fact, why don't we dedicate... Any merit from this podcast to the mm. liberation and healing
0: wonderful idea great so we'll do that that's this is dedicated to the victims at uh, in nepal and the Kathmandu area and today's show of your spiritual broadcast is really just A. A, Q&A. a couple of the questions that we've been getting in from our listeners have been questions i guess that you can't really tackle in one show. So we thought we're going to just pile them all together and run through a couple of the the ones that's, that so far have crossed our desk. So I guess we just jump right in, really. Um, and so the first question I've got here that we've sort of compiled into our notes is alchemy is about... Well, it mentions in some ways in some, and various names for it the rainbow body, but can we really can we look a little bit at what the rainbow body is?
1: Yes, indeed. In fact, it has a certain I would not say connection with Kathmandu, but one of the most famous cases in the Orient, in the East, of course, is the precious Guru, Padmasambhava, the Lotus Born who brought Buddhism into Tibet, but before that, he's attributed with the building of one of the great stupas in Kathmandu. Um, so there's a, a reference to it, and this is where we hear the term, or where most people hear the term rainbow body, Tibetan is mm. and, um But in fact, it's not confined to the West, because as you well know, Benjamin, alchemy adopts the symbols and terms of whichever culture it finds itself in right um and one of the reasons for the use of um metallurgy terms you know to temper metals you know copper zinc and all this kind of thing right it, it is because of uh, in the uh, west anyway it um Defended practitioners against persecution, since the medieval church only persecuted what it regarded as heretics—people holding different religious views—and um, the alchemists just kept talking about metal, so
0: they thought Not it was safe,
1: same kind of mm. obscure form. Um, so, uh, anyway, even in the West, because alchemy is the um, the uh, practical application of the Kabbalah. One of the great um, Western alchemists, Paracelsus, said, without the Kabbalah, the, the key, he called it, the Kabbalah,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you are not fitted for this magistrate, meaning for this mastery. And, and it's perfectly true, um, alchemical code and things can't be understood without kabbalistic. Mm, it's the so foundation really of of the higher work mm-hmm. of alchemy right yeah and so one shouldn't be too surprised that there is in fact um it's very obscure I'll on to but in kabbalistic uh, writings the obscure ones there is a reference to the rainbow body queshit hmm. or zilim queshit means rainbow or means light Zalim is a kind of body, so it's like the rainbow light's body. Mm -hmm. And it's it's identical. So um, when, for example, in um, uh, the Bible it talks about um, Enoch um, uh, walked with God and was not, which is a reference to his attainment and becoming the archangel Metatron. Mm -hmm. Or Elijah in the chariot. The chariot doesn't mean a spaceship or a vehicle the mm. chariot of course the vehicle is his body right and, and his body beca- becomes an ascended body and that's one way in which you can define it the, the clearest description of it occurs in um, the gospels um, which is the, what, what is technically called um, Jesus's Yeshua's transfiguration where it describes that his face shone like the sun and his garments were as bright as snow hmm. and the disciples fell on their faces because of the radiance that came off him. Hmm. And and later on, after the so-called resurrection, by, by so-called, I'm not being disrespectful, I mean, the transfiguration, transfiguration shows that the resurrection was um, the obvious outcome. Um, with the resurrection... Some of the powers of the of the rainbow body are being shown. The ability to manifest in a sealed room and yet also to be tangible, to be touched, to hmm. eat physical food, um, to bilocate, to change appearance. At one point, the apostles um, implore Yeshua to take back on the form that he wore when they knew him. Hmm. because he could appear as anything and just kind of freak them out so the rainbow body is the kind of final attainment of the great work of alchemy um becoming a conscious becoming an immortal uh, one of the great holy ones who go who run and return who ascend and descend the worlds when there's need and to inspire and to instruct and to get us out of the big scrapes we tend to dig ourselves into yeah absolutely so the rainbow body
0: is also um almost descriptive term of if you were to see an immortal in that state the 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 appearance of it is in fact of it has that rainbow quality in a way isn't it
1: um, when it's unveiled in its fullness, yes. um, Tibet is one of the best examples of this. I mean, there have been, you know, Jesuits in the 16th century, a Franciscan, the end of the, uh, you know, about 10 years, 20 years ago, hmm. was running around, jumping up and down because all these beings attaining rainbow bodies in Tibet, which tends to churn them out rather like Ford factory gensile cars, um, they, they, straight away, they were like, this must be what it meant, for Jesus's resurrection body. Mm-hmm. What uh, Christian mysticism calls the solar body, the sun body. Right. Um, but when the attainment happens, the physical body—it's um, is, is been watched fairly closely—begins to diminish in size. The owner of the body goes into a very deep, profound trance, and then the body seems to diminish in size uh, until there's nothing left except for um fingernails and um hair right and what a lot of people don't know also is because most people wouldn't recognize it if they saw it the septum the division between the two nostrils Hmm. the bone between Hmm. the two is also left behind
0: Hmm.
1: from your work with yoga you'll um grasp this very quickly benjamin is um it's because, of course, there's no longer the Ida Pingala channels. Mm-hmm. There's just the central breath. Right. You yeah, know, everlastingly. And then there are small little tests that they do. Um, you've seen the, the photograph of um, the 16th Kamapa displaying the rainbow body in front of about 300 people. And also, um, the last case I can think of, I think, was 2004, I think um and uh yeah there have been many many examples of it um but it can ordinarily like an ordinary body Hmm. unless 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 the unless the wear of the body the technical term is is um that they display it in other words they make it show but Hmm. there are kind of giveaways like um Sometimes people walk behind them with lit candles and lamps, and you can see the flame through the body, or right? Things wow. like that.
0: Okay. Wonderful. Okay. Um, oh, truly
1: wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: Absolutely. <laughs> right. On to our next question. So this question came in. You know, I'm not mentioning who this who sent this in because some people obviously prefer to not be mentioned. On yes. Air, so. Yes. In case yes. somebody's got a question, but they feel reluctant to send in a question because of that, feel feel free. Uh...
1: Is, is, is this one from is this? Is this the one that came in from President Putin? I can't remember. Is this one <laughs> possibly? <laughs> um, anyhow, political... I know David Cameron. David Cameron he wants to know the outcome of the general election next month. Possibly, it's a yeah, question. It's it's a yeah. Quest.
0: So, so this question is: um What is the purpose of the significator? in tarot in a tarot layout and how do you select it
1: it's a good question and of course the significator is very very significant Mm. which is why no hint (laughs) uh, hint at the name there yes (laughs) no not at all a significator is very simply put it's a focus used by the reader to, to represent a person okay now it that may sound incredibly obvious but it's not um, f- firstly, let's assume the reader is dealing with a query face-to-face, the person who wants to know the outcome, how things are looking. Mm. So, you need something to go into the cards to represent the significant, the, the, um, inquirer. Mm-hmm. In, in in the pattern of the cards themselves, right? Yeah, you know? because sometimes if if the card of the querent falls in a particular place, it signifies a particular right. event. Mm. Yeah, or in in relationship to other people or situations, things like that. Mm. So the, the fact that the person sitting in front of you doesn't mean therefore you wouldn't use a significator. Um, and uh, the other a way in which the significator is used. It's a course for reading at a distance. Right. Yes. So, you know, you have your the cards, you know, to represent that a particular person. Now the significator, if if people really know how to divine a tarot, which should be surprised how few people really do.
0: They mm, discovered that.
1: Um yes. Um is uh um The significator is never chosen from the major arcana Mm -hmm. because they they represent great objective forces and powers at work in life and you don't want to surrender one of those from being of use in the the reading. Mm. So it's usually chosen from the court cards, the royal cards Mm -hmm. of the minor arcana suits. Those four cards being the page, the knight, the queen, and king, and they're used simply, you know, according to gender, obviously. Um, now there are two schools of thought of how you then select um, which suit you select the minor card from. It's not that one way is right and the other's wrong. It's it's up to the individual reader. I'll 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 will t- I'll tell you both and I'll tell you my own preference on why I do what I, I do. So the first form is simply where it's to do with the colouring of the person. So if you look at the weight deck, for example, you'll notice that the suit of swords, the king queen, you can't see the knight's hair, I don't think, and and the page, you know, they're all dark haired. Hmm. And so the, the swords. And the pentacles are used for dark people, dark coloured people, by hair, by hair, by um, by their hair, their eye colouring, and things like that. Um. And the second way of doing it is done through what sign of the zodiac the inquirer is. So, for example, if they're an earth sign, then Pentacles will be used. A water sign. There will be cups, etc. I use the second one because the cards were designed in in the Middle Ages, and we now live in multicultural societies. So it's not very easy to select a card uh, of somebody, you know, say a Native American mm. or somebody from India or from, you know, an indigenous african for example it doesn't it doesn't hold you know right um so i tend to go i go for the zodiac one whatever their sun sign is that's what mm. i use for the significator okay and that's all it's that's all it simply is okay great
0: your spiritual broadcast is sponsored by the rising phoenix foundation Why not sign up for David Goddard's Letters to Your Spirit? It's free, and once a week you get a spiritually inspiring message to help you on your path of spiritual discovery. Letters to Your Spirit has many giveaways, free programs, and online workshops that is only shared with Rising Phoenix Foundation community members. Go to rpxf.org and sign up today. Right, next question. Um, So this person asked, what is the difference between learning from
1: a book and learning from a teacher? Well, there are many fine books. And, of course, the written word can stimulate insights in the reader.
0: Hmm.
1: But what they cannot do is give the reader a direct living experience. Right. Right reading is always a second hand experience a book can only pass on this second hand information but uh, a a teacher can transmit states of consciousness thus awakening the same state in a prepared pupil because of their relationship
0: mm. environment
1: and because uh, and, and within each other's aura mm. Um, In a book, the words are everything. With the teacher, the words are not so important. I know it's rather curious for people to think, um, but this is what distinguishes a real spiritual teacher from a learned lecturer, because what matters is the spiritual energy that flows through the teacher. And it's this vitalizing, stimulating energy that awakens the student. This is the secret transmission that initiates growth and development that illuminates. Hmm. So in this sense, um, I suppose you could say a book is like a map, whereas a real teacher is like a satellite navigation system.
0: So. Right. Yeah, it's a little bit more, it's living and it's it's there's an interaction taking place. Yes, hmm.
1: indeed, indeed. Yeah, okay. something, of it, something of it comes across in recordings like this, but it's still not the same as face to face. Yeah, you know, direct direct encounter.
0: Hmm. Okay. Uh, On to, uh, I guess, slightly related question. So, can you give some guidelines for path workings,
1: please? Yes. Well, for the sake of listeners who don't know, a path working. It's a guided uh, meditation in the form of a journey. So as a beginning, middle and end. Um, The term comes, in fact, from um, path working. In other words, visual meditations on the paths of the tree of life. But nowadays... Is people tend to use the word for this kind of meditation compared to say formless meditation or, or breath meditation mm. or still still symbol to where it's a kind of encounter it's a kind of inner adventure okay so that's how a path working is used now generally speaking generally speaking not all cases a path working has to be worked several times we really need to avoid the modern tendency to think, oh, I've read that pathworking or I've done that one once before. This is the same appetite that says, ah, I've seen this film before, or no, no, I know how this one ends. Mm-hmm. Doing a pathworking just the once, it's really just an introduction to the images, to the int- into introducing those images into your subconscious mind. It is only after several workings of the interior journey that the images begin to have deeper effects.
0: Mm.
1: Also, when a path working has several characters in it, you know, you come to the crystal bridge and there's an old crone and then you go across and there's a black knight and you go across there and there's a sleeping dragon. And mm. When there's several characters, I want you to repeat the inner journey more than once, each time identifying with a different character. Mm -hmm. taking pathworking of a grail legend for example it's a very different experience when worked from the perspective of lancelot than it is if you're doing the same pathworking from being the character of galahad right or pathworking the descent of the goddess legend which is from the old sumerian legends it's a totally different when it's being worked through the goddess of the underworld, and through the hero or heroine of the piece of the goddess Ishtar, who descends. However, multi-leveling pathworkings are the exception to the rule. Um, this kind of pathworkings are the ones on the Tree of Life. Um, authentic workings of the 32 paths of the tree affect profound levels and can take some time to process. So I always advise people I'm mentoring through this to do the, this kind of path walking just the once in a lunar cycle to allow the full mm. digestion. When you're dealing with these deep archetype images, you know, you're know you talking to the subconscious in its own language.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: There's, there's no filter.
0: So you're meaning, sorry to interject, you mean by multi-level is really, it is not only... Um, visual it's it is sort of working on on all sorts of etheric levels you know connecting to that um the subconscious in, in a different way in a sense i should maybe say in that in that yes giving it a, a multi-level aspect instead of just a an ordinary path working i guess you one could say
1: uh yes because um for something like this the images are chosen with great care. Right. Um, and they represent, you know, so they can have, you know, uh, um, uh, they can be the vehicles of spiritual energies or astral energies or planetary energies or an angelic energy or, or, or whatever. Okay. So that they carry, you know, a big charge. Hmm. The deepest level of path working itself are worked with what's called the trance of vision. And this can in turn trigger an astral projection. Hmm. And the very deepest levels, of course, when a walker between the worlds and somebody who's fluent in astral work is to travel in the body of light, hmm. which hmm. is preparation for the rainbow body that we spoke about at the beginning of right. this yeah. podcast. Hmm. True. Yeah.
0: <clears throat> okay. Um, the next question is a rather curious one because I think... We tend to shy away from it, I guess, at least in the West. Um, It's not really spoken of generally, I guess, simply because actually it turns out to be not as exciting, I guess, as people think. So the question is, could you talk a little bit more about sex magic?
1: Oh, sex magic. Sex magic is something (laughs) that you do when your lover's really boring, so you are thinking about something else in your head. No, it's not at all. (laughs) <laughs> but it could be <laughs> well I suppose but that wouldn't be what we mean by sex magic no. at all. Um of course sex magic you know has a mixed um, reputation mm-hmm. and that's really because of the West's hang up with sex um, from the medieval period you know from the Judeo-Christian model and the Islamic model mm sex is you know it's always get it gets a bad press and um so we kind of inherited it in the victorian period with all these repressions and and, and things that go on with it and uh although since the f- um flower power day is you know um, we've become much more relaxed about it in one sense actually we still have stains in our mind around it you know, even nowadays most people's view of sex is kind of naughty but nice mm. you know in, in other words they, they don't see it as the the wondrous miraculous thing that it is mm. they don't realize how dangerous sex is
0: mm.
1: as, uh, if, if there was no if there were no pleasure attached to it, if it did not um, culminate in in physical delight, nobody would do it. Because if you see what the body does, the way the spine arches, the way the heart increases, and all the kind of rapture all the organs go into, it's a very dangerous thing. Um, uh, And so... Very often in pseudo occultism, I'll call it, sex is um, magic is used as an excuse for sex. Mm. You know, so that people can do things they wouldn't do otherwise. Mm. If they dress up, you know, with some some robes and a funny mask. <laughs> and they give and them themselves a like the permission, that. right? Yeah, exactly, mm-hmm. exactly. Um, or you take, you know, one of the most infamous. Really, I didn't why he is so infamous because psychologically he's extremely. Ch- childish you know alistair crowley who's known for you know the self-proclaimed most wicked man in the world (laughs) which tells you something if somebody calls himself that he's really he's got problems Mm. and he would use sex magic he made it vogue you could say but he he really did it just to cover up the fact that basically he was into guys
0: Mm.
1: you know he would get women to come into bed with him to turn on these straight guys, so that then he could do something. Or if you read his um, "Cover your ears, children, I'm about to f- uh, upset you all." If you read his diaries, he talks about going to honours uh, um, and you know um, bringing six men off by all, all sex for the purposes of the great work. It was just he was just a schoolboy. Just bear in mind, he was brought up, brought up by the Plymouth Brethren who are an extreme form of Quakers. Mm. And um, he really just had to do whatever he could to justify it to himself so he could get away with it. Mm. That said, the sex magic is rather boring from a sexual point of view, which, of course, th- that's how you can tell the real thing from the fake. <laughs> By which I mean, if somebody has to, you know, dress up as a, you know, to, to do a ritual to have sex and things, you know what I mean? It's, you know, absurd, really. Of course, what is sex?
0: I mean, what is sex? Or sex is sex magic? A question.
1: Yeah, yes, but I mean, sex itself, you know, it's a huge release of, well, we can say etheric force. Hmm. But let's be, let's be blunt about it. Let's call it what the ancient mysteries called it. It's a huge release of life force. Hmm. If you watch a person's aura when they, when they um, experience orgasm. Actually, there aren't many people who are busy looking at a person's aura during orgasm. But if you were, you would see that the, that the aura flares tremendously. Hmm. Also, for, for a short while, the person experienced the primordial, the non-dual state. Right. That's why there's the French saying, that's why it's lacking to a death. Petit mort. The loss of self. When we say two people are trying to lose themselves in each other, yeah, you know, because of course they think the, the other person has given them that experience. Well, actually, it's not true. A person can do it by themselves if they wanted to, and still attain the state. You know. mm. And that's that's one of the masteries of um, sex when it's used in various forms of yoga and things is to uh, is to attain you know the state. Mm. Now, it, there is a huge cascade of um, life force. And that life force can be used in all kinds of ways, magically speaking. Right. Consecration of talismans, insoling thought forms. Very good for healing.
0: Mm.
1: You know? Yeah. Um, and uh, the the... What I should say is, is that um, real sex magic is by no means as satisfactory as as plain old rumpy dumpy sex or exquisite lovemaking. Mm. Because at oh. the moment in which you're, you're about to experience this physical bliss, what Taoism calls great bliss to the lower gate. Mm. Um, the moment you're about to experience it, you have to tear your mind away from the sensation and focus unwaveringly upon where you are sending that energy. That's so that's highly unsatisfactory.
0: Mm.
1: That's like um, be, that's like being interrupted, but it's too late to stop. But you're now thinking to yourself. I must get out the window fast because that's her husband. <laughs> <laughs> for example, for example, for
0: example, but of course, <laughs> listeners, we're not encouraging anybody to, um, get up to all sorts of
1: unhealthy sex magic with, uh, with the neighbors. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> what is, was that yeah, TV so... program called? Desperate housewives.
1: <clears throat> Desperate are. occultists. So, um, yeah. So, so. And I mean, in the ancient days, um, in the old mysteries orgy was used quite a lot. Mm. It's still used in certain cults. We did a podcast on on Vudan the other day.
0: Yeah,
1: it's still used there and things. And of course, it is used by desperate housewives and bored middle class suburbanites. You know, but that's a different thing. Mm. But um, in the ancient times, orgy was a form of worship. Mm. So people, you know, would because they, they didn't have the hang-up. They recognized it was life force, the power of creation, and it came from the gods, and therefore could be offered in worship to the gods, in the same way as, you know, the gods gave you food, so you would periodically offer vegetables back and flowers back in, in mm. thanks, Thanksgiving. Mm. Do you see? What's interesting, is though, is if you ever watch the high priests or high priestesses who were responsible for the directing of the force they never engaged in the sex act themselves.
0: Hmm.
1: Well, one is they've got, you know, 50 or 100 people at it anyway, so they don't need to. But basically it's so that they can... Yeah, so they can actually work the, the purpose of the of the ritual. Yeah, so they, hmm. they can channel it. Hmm, hmm. And also, um, it's fairly common knowledge now that, you know, in some of the old cults of worship... The, the sovereign, the king, the queen, the emperor, the pharaoh, whatever they were, would have um, sex in a sacred ritual setting with a represent representative of one of the gods or goddesses, depending on what was going on. So the most common one, of course, was if it was for the fertility of the harvest, you know, using the classic thing, that the king would, you know, um have sex with one of the um servants of the um the god of the harvest or the goddess of the harvest depending on the culture right uh, what a lot of moderns don't know is that um they weren't hung up on gender hmm. so so if it happened that the king happened to be gay he would be having sex with a, a male priest of whatever the deity was or if he was straight and et cetera. Hmm. They weren't, they weren't, they weren't that hung up on it because they recognize that all of these things, of course, are symbols Hmm. and symbols are tools, but they're not to be taken literally. Right. Okay. So, yeah. And there are different ways with sex magic. I mean, I don't want people to think that it automatically means intercourse. There are um, different ways in which different sex acts are used Hmm. for various purposes since i don't intend the podcast to be a a manual on sex magic no pun intended will you please stop doing that when you're listening to the podcast thank you and the next and the next
0: question well yeah i'm, I'm sort of now wondering whether we should rate the show 18 just to just oh, because of i'm this.
1: sure on, on on this not just on the subject of sex magic on this on the on the subject of occultism it should be Probably. over 18 yeah mm. <laughs> <laughs> quite true right
0: okay um on to the next question as you said um why okay so this is a, a again a tarot question so the question is why is the symbol of infinity over the magician's head in tarot
1: key one this figure of eight like an eight lying on its side mm-hmm. the, the lemniscate, skate as it's known Um, As you say, you should translate it as the symbol of infinity. Only appears twice in tarot. That's in tarot key one, which is where this one is, shown above the head of the magician. Mm. But also in tarot key eight, strength. Right. Um, The lemniscate, the figure of infinity, is a glyph, in other words, shorthand, for the secret fire, for the life force, for Kundalini, as it's called in the east. Bear in mind, of course, remember, Tarot Key 8 is a picture. Mm. Country. So this symbol says to the instructed viewer of the card that the fire has been raised. In Tarot Key 1, it is the source of the magician's power. In um, The Magus by Barrett, um, he points out, about a true mage, that there is a certain power within hmm. that makes great mages, as opposed to the formula and book knowledge and things. Hmm. And as I say, of course, key eight strength is the card, par excellent of this inner incandescence. Um, Sefer Yetzirah calls this, and the Hebrew letter assigned to it is also a serpent that's why it's sometimes called the serpent power Hmm. um and in hebrew that's the letter tet and uh sefer says of this letter it is the secret of all spiritual powers of all spiritual forces now the chakra what the Western practice calls the inner stars or inner planets. Mm-hmm. The moon center is the one on the forehead. And what in the East is called the Ajna Chakra. And in in uh, Buddhist and Hindu yogic art, it's shown as a, 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 a flower, a lotus, but just these two petals, yeah petals that are horizontal Mm. so that in other words it makes the shape same yeah of the lemniscate Mm -hmm. and this is very important because the brow center is one of the um, places in which the serpent power uh, an effective um yogi or adept has to be able to raise the fiery power to the brow center so it can repose, so that it can rest there. Hmm. And this is how the other cities are stimulated into life, the powers are stimulated into life. That's why it's called the secret of the magical powers. Right. It stimulates the other powers, hmm. or, emp- or empowers them if you like. Also this uh, form of the Lemnus Gate, it's very similar to, um, remember over the doors of the Egyptian temples, on the Pylon gates there would be the winged sun disk? Yes. So the reason it's shown over the head of the strength woman and the magician is simply because it's such a small detail that if you put it actually where it should be, which is on the forehead, probably over the course of time it would have got lost yeah. with all the artistic reinterpretations that Tarot's gone through. Mm. And it's also it's kind of like you know it being as obvious as being hit by a hammer. Look, you know the, the firepower's been raised up to here. Right. In fact, in the in the older decks, you know, you may have seen some um, where the magician wears the traditional conical hat of the wizard, mm-hmm. like Gandalf, mm-hmm. and there's the brim to this conical hat. But the brim is kind of twisted, so it looks like if you trace it with your finger, it makes the form of a lemniscate.
0: Mm-hmm. That's quite, they're quite curious, those uh, ones.
1: Yeah. <clears throat> so that's why it's there. Hmm
0: okay great okay um one more question the so in fact it's actually slightly related to the previous question so at the temple of uh, delphi um over the door it says know thyself could you talk about the statement a little bit more and and sort of the oracle of delphi
1: well it's, it's always a very popular one quoted in magical circles the greek gnothi suaton, know thyself mm-hmm. and of course nowadays with um, uh, the understanding of psychology that there's you know the deeper mind and we have impulses and programmings and complexes and things the life of dream you know to know thyself is to is to go within mm-hmm. In the old days, they sometimes used to say, know thyself and thus know the gods. Ah. But of course, remember here, they were being subtle because the gods, of course, are archetypes. Sure. So like in Hinduism, it's, a, it's noted that there are the gods, the powers that be in the universe, but they are reflected inside mm-hmm. the human being, mm-hmm. as above, so below. Mm. So there is this sense. And of course, true magical training is all about knowing thyself. True alchemy is about... Converting one's lead, one's dark ignorance and seeds of sorrow, into bright, incorruptible gold. Mm-hmm. So there's the sublimation. Um, what a lot of people don't know is that actually four lines to the saying. Ah. Um, know, know thyself, because there were four entrances to the temple of Delphi, oh, of and there was one one phrase over each of the doors. So hmm. in their correct order, it's like this, it is, um, I'll read it in English. It is, um, t- take careful counsel. It's the first one, mm-hmm. know thyself is the second. The third is consult the daemon. Daemon here is the Greek word. It doesn't mean demon hmm. daemon means the inspiring soul. You could say higher self in modern, modern speech. Consult the daemon, and finally it says, undertake nothing without God. and hmm. So the full, thing, the full thing is: take careful counsel, know thyself, consult the daemon, undertake nothing without God. Hmm. And that's the proper Delphic maxim, the proper advice of the of the oracle. I'm sure you can God- somehow relate that back to.
0: Color. Yeah, I'm sure you can probably relate that back to the full. For world in some way too
1: yes and it's also interesting notice of course that the god apollo in the greek is he's you know the sun god mm. but pa- but paradoxically he's not the god who drives the chariot of the sun that's helios mm. but you know for them he is the he's the god of um culture right you know the muses are part of his retinue mm-hmm. and and that's why the renaissance Used him so much because he represented high civilization culture and things. Mm. So, in a certain sense, of course, he's the perfect example of sublimation, of the harnessing of the raw powers and raising them up to achieve, achieve a godlike status. Mm. And Delphi was, of course, his great temple mm-hmm. right. um, where he would advise um, people through the mouth of the Pythia, the oracle there.
0: Wow, great! Well, that's no, no. I didn't I didn't know about the the three other statements. Actually, it was quite interesting. Hmm. Wonderful. Well, thank you very much, David. Uh, he's David Goddard. I'm Benjamin Phillips. You are listening to Your Spiritual Broadcast, uh, brought to you by the Rising Phoenix Foundation. Now ten years old this year. Um, you can find the show at uh, on iTunes and Stitcher and at the website yourspiritualbroadcast.com. dot com. If you've got any questions, you can email them to questions at your dot um, I think that's really about it. Thank you very much, David. Thanks for all these uh, answering all our questions and um, to our listeners, please send more questions in. I mean, it's you know we don't necessarily always get to all of them, but they they definitely get addressed at some way and in somehow. So feel free. And um, again, David, thanks for your time and your input and your wisdom. Thanks.
1: Thank you very much, Benjamin. And dear listeners, it's goodbye from me and it's goodbye from him.